The following program is a work of fiction and falsehood that is not meant to be interpreted as actual fact. The views expressed in this program are not necessarily those of the broadcaster or the management thereof. This program deals with morbid themes and grotesque humor. Listener discretion is advised. Glad you're here. I'm media disruption developer Kai Hubris, and this is EurekaCast, now where science meets technology meets you. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Sciences. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and may bellies be jiggling with mirth and wisdom this evening, specifically the listeners' bellies, but... (laughs) I've got quite a belly full myself right now. Well, th- thanks for that. Thanks for that, Rowan. And I do hope to give, in fact, uh, what I want to start off with today is something that hopefully will endow some wisdom onto the listener. As you know, I work for the organization Tech Brothers at the New Media Laboratories. I We hear it about it all the time. And I'm sure the listener is most engaged with Tech Brothers through their mask program. Probably the mask they are wearing right now is uh, is especially designed algorithmically a complex mask developed by Tech Brothers. And I wanted to start off with um, uh, uh, giving the listener some wisdom by explaining the new updates that they must have been must have been hearing about through the uh, through their mask notifications. Now we've gone over this before uh, at length, actually. But the necessity for a mask to have um, firmware and algorithms, oh boy, is still still Firm, elusive. Firmware, to me personally, software. You have all kinds of wares on on, on these things. Um, but yeah. Uh, we talked about the previous uh, updates, but if you're keeping track, uh, we are on version 1.4 of mask updates. And these updates I'm very excited about because they not only uh, keep the same features of the, of the masks that we've had known and loved, uh, but they're adding a lot more capabilities of the masks. Uh, for example, uh, masks in this new updated version uh, will start uh, analyzing bre- breath particles through breath particle sensors actively looking for uh, signatures and keys for Mallow 21 and other infectious diseases, just from simple breath particles. Also, it'll be examining vocal inflections uh, to identify major factors uh, to determine uh, the necessity uh, for uh, assistance in, in sort of mental health and, and stress issues. Once again, would these is this all strictly necessary for a, a, a something that could be approximated in its intended purpose by a piece of cloth is 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 all of this strictly necessary well rowan i i would ask if uh if the development of of modern medicine is strictly necessary i mean if you want to help people you develop tools that help people and if you don't want to help people if you don't have to wear the masks 
These are for the people that continue to wear the masks because they're the best tool that they have for their own health and well-being. Yes. I do want to finally, uh, one more, there's one more update I do want to touch on. And that is we've now, and this is one that I'm very excited about uh, because this one, this one goes into, uh, into a lot of, uh, uh, a lot more that we thought we could get from just the mouth. But with the enhanced uh, flavor sensors on the mask, uh, the, the mask could detect, uh, sir, it could, could uh, pick up uh, certain key, uh, key breath flavor uh, uh, signifiers from the, the person's breath as, as they breathe in and out, um, looking for certain certain flavors in, the, in those breath to, uh, to figure out whether there was any issues with that person's digestive health as well, just from, just from the flavor of that person's breath. But... I mean... Why? Rowan, you talked. Rowan, you talked about your. You talked about your your belly's jingling. I mean, that you may you may take that as a positive, but that might actually be a key sign of some serious digestive health issues that these masks could determine early on. Well, what's the what is the end plan for these masks? Because clearly, once we move out of the pandemic, the necessity for face masks is going to to dwindle. So, what? Why? Why are you putting so much in Tech Brothers? I should ask. Why are they putting so much effort into developing these these corner cases for something that is ultimately only going to be a temporary measure? Right. It's not necessarily the new media labs that are doing this. It is it is the Tech Brothers uh, health and safety labs. Uh, but I mean, we're living in a newer normal, Rowan. We don't exactly know what to expect, do we? I suppose not. Anyway. Uh, all of these features are accessible through the Guy5 Wellness mm. Portal, which is available online or via Tech Brothers applications on, say, your Guy phone or uh, TechBook Pro. Mm. Uh, and that that ends my little my little update. Uh, now let's get to the the meat of the show, Rowan. I, I come to understand that you brought a, quite a quite a spicy story for us today. Yes, actually, very very um absolutely uh. We're going to start off today with a Eureka controversy Ooh. coming from the world of geology. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, when I think of the world of geology as a very uncontroversial uh, area of science. Absolutely. By and large, there isn't. It's it's somewhat dull, per, and I'm hopefully doing no offense to the geologists mm-hmm. that may be listening. It's not, it's not a very... Um, fast-paced, sexy sort of field. They're with, very blunt, if you if you will. You you could look at it that way. Uh, They're very grounded, uh, grounded perhaps. Uh, but in this instance too, it it would seem something to be ex- even less controversial within geology, and that is the discovery of a new mineral. Uh, mm. There's several thousand minerals that have been discovered and identified, and sort of entered into the uh, uh, the International uh, Mineralogical Association's database. I can think of several. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the classics. Uh, bentonite, quartz. Um, uh, hematite. Hematite, that's another good one. Uh, Fool's gold. We use... Um, we use a lot of crystals at the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science, mm. not in my department, but it, sometimes. In any case, uh, so 
what had happened was is a new mineral was discovered uh, in the aftermath of one of the ongoing eruptions occurring at Mount Etna in Sicily. Uh, it was a previously unclassified sort of glassy brown substance that is being reported as being composed primarily of iron and molybdenum. And uh, the organization that had identified this mineral, the uh, Scuola Superior di Cat- Catinia, uh, had submitted the name at night to the International Mineralogical Association sure. for, for the for the volcano for the qualification yeah f- b- named after the volcano and as the uh, to have this entered into the official database of minerals. Mm. Uh, however, and this is where the controversy Geneva, start- Switzerland. Th- this is where the controversy starts. Uh, two of the individual geologists from the f- from that d- same school, that mm. same university who helped with the identification of the mineral concurrently and surreptitiously, as apparently, mm-hmm. uh, submitted their own names for the mineral. Uh, one, a Dr. Sergio Ponzi, proposing the name Ponzite, and the other, a Professor Pia Tofana, proposing, uh, in a similar manner, Tofanite. Two very uh, very acceptable names in my mind. Oh, they're, they're perfectly acceptable. They're, all three of them are perfectly fine. There's nothing really quite out of the ordinary with this or what's going on here. Um, and for a great deal of time, this has been an ongoing controversy for a number of months now. It was, it was a professional dispute, uh, a matter of sort of just... Uh, uh, you know, something to occur in board meetings and, mm-hmm. and assemblies and what have you. But eventually it got more and more heated and it, the, the conflict itself has finally boiled over and a violent schism has formed with roughly half of the Scuola Superiore's geology department aligning with Dr. Ponzi and half with Professor Tafana. Wow. Um, a full-blown schism within the the department uh, between over over naming this substance. Now, are there people outside of this school that are that are also siding with either or of these uh, these individuals? Well, being geology, being as unsexy as we mentioned earlier, mm. there isn't really quite that much external. No interest in this debate um not that is not until recently uh because what the initiating incident of this schism and the violence that has followed was a junior researcher who was apparently in dr ponzi's camp mm. was found stoned to death in the campus mineral archive uh seemingly killed by a prize sample of bentonite excavated by professor tofana herself wow um, very dramatic, and yeah. as you can imagine, the uh, the, the Doctor Ponzi's and his affiliates yeah. uh, responded quite violently sure. to what had been retribution at this point a vendetta. At this at this point, had only been a professional sort of uh, discussion debate. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't they didn't strike first, but they struck. They planned to strike last, uh, and it, it's gotten quite quite violent, uh, full blown gang violence essentially erupting in the halls of mm. the of the in, of the school fists chisels rock hammers all being used in these these scuffles um and literally anything that these these geology researchers can get their hands on right to to attack the opposing team and unfortunately tools that could take apart rock are 
are fairly, I imagine, fairly good at taking apart a human human flesh. Exactly. It's it, There was one particularly gruesome incident that occurred just a few days ago. Half a dozen TAs, postgrads, and a tenured researcher all ended up being taken to a nearby hospital for injuries. Uh, one had to be put in an induced coma for head injuries sustained from an antique hands lens. Um, what is an antique hands lens? A hand lens is, oh. imagine, a magnifying sure, glass, sure, sure. but um, I don't have pictures of it, but I imagine, I've seen the pictures of what happened to this poor individual's skull, and it must have been quite robust. Uh, it's It quite really, in, go, it in really goes to show that in, in all fields of science, passions run high, you know, it, even in things that might be considered uh, somewhat somewhat dull and... and um, uh, Un... uninteresting I, I didn't want to use that word but sure. I'm unsexy let... we'll, we'll continue using that word tensions it's run not, high it's not it's just not unfortunately uh geology is not sexy like i don't know something like microbiology or uh fission exactly if, if geology or or math it, 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 by and large geology is not dangerous Danger is proportional to sexiness. That is well established. Yes. The, this could be a segment in itself. This Rome. could be a segment in itself. Uh, in any case, uh, with that in related news, uh, the International Mineralogical Association has put out a statement with regards to this com- this this uh, purported new mineral uh, saying that the classification has been denied, uh, citing insufficient evidence that the compound is novel and or significant. Fascinating. We'll have to see if that, that tempts down um, the anger and the, the the cycle of retribution that seems unfolding. Uh, or it could amp it up. Who knows? It's it, it w- time will tell. But um, who are we to who are we to say what's going to happen in the geological community? I'm not a geologist. In in and but I think there is some some at least cold comfort to be found that in a geological time scale, this will not the, the this violence won't really matter at all. I guess that is true. Well, thank you very much for that, Rowan. Uh, today, I want to bring with you for my story. I have a classic Eureka moment, and that is something that I found very interesting. Now, as you know, I am I am constantly working with the robotics laboratories here at Tech Brothers uh, to make the best robots to to make good and uh, and, and suitable robots for their jobs. Um, most of them have to do with like n- new media robots because I am in the new media laboratories here at Tech Brothers. But I also, I mean, I know my way around a, a good old classic manufacturing robot for just a typical factory. Uh, I mean, who doesn't? Oh, well, you've certainly seen pictures at the very least or video footage, what have you. Yeah. Um, the, the great big arms that go over an assembly line and sort of either spot weld or move things around. That's yeah. what you're referring to, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not as it's not as as you would say as sexy as a as a robot that goes out and plays chess or shows kids magic tricks, but they are very important, and they they need support. And that's why my eureka moment is that a Portuguese manufacturer. Uh, has recently instituted a robot enrichment program for their factory robots. Oh, that's wonderful. That that's that's fantastic. Um, as as anyone who engages in the workforce, 
there needs to be some enrichment there. That's the reason why we have the 40-hour work week is if you work continuously, it's um, unconscionable what that does to the human psyche and to, to the spirit. Frankly, I mean, I mean, I mean truly, truly. Uh, so, an applications, an uh, sorry, an appliance manufacturer um, and distributor in uh, in Lisbon, Portugal, uh, called Parasua in uh, Industria, is pioneering a program that they believe will not only increase productivity but also increase that workplace culture. Those things that all good factories need to have. Uh, they've assembled a team of five robotics enrichment specialists who will sequentially take robots out of service two or three times a week and provide them stimulation uh, invite them uh, stimulating experiences and one-on-one attention by the way uh, by ways of, of what they're calling robot toys well so has there is there any information on what might have spurred this on was there a dip in productivity or were the robots themselves exhibiting evidence of burnout either physically Liter- or literally, literally or metaphorically. Well, well, sure. I, I would say, I would say that this isn't just a uh, robot burnout. Is not something that is just limited to one or a few uh, robot manufacturers. It, it's really something uh, that we see on a larger scale. Many, many factories see robot burnout all the time. Their robots need to come down because of uh, uh, of of mechanical issues and errors. They they sound out notifications, they shut down the whole line, and they need, you know, days or weeks of work on these robots to bring them back up to working conditions. And until now, nobody had really experimented with how to, how to solve that, not just from a, not just from a, uh, from, from more of a, uh, a preventative measure than a, than a, you know, a post hoc measure. Right. So in, instead of, of having um, unpredictable stops to production because this robot uh, can no longer function the way it needs to or this robot is experiencing these errors, uh, regularly take them off the line, right. allow them to to relax and, and get their head back in the game, right. perhaps, and f- have some wellness and then put them back to prevent unseen issues. Exactly. Is that the idea? Yeah, and the like the number of issues that we're seeing uh, are just getting getting uh, worse and worse. Are, are just increasing. Uh, we think we make more complicated robots. Those robots are going to be better at you know solving problems at, at, at working their jobs, and that to some extent is true. They do their jobs faster, better, more precisely, but. They're not, in many cases, because they're doing such remedial and repetitive work, they're not living up to their full potential. And that's why they've developed, uh, these uh, enrichment specialists are, have developed these, these tools, especially designed to allow robots to practice their full range of motion, uh, engage in recreational behavior, and to encourage them to learn through play, which is an important concept in both humans and robots. Well, that's quite fascinating. Uh, exactly, and they hope that hopes the hopes are that the uh, this these this enrichment may be a preventative measure for robot malfunction. Yeah, so so let's hear about some of these toys. This sounds quite interesting. Yeah, what's great about these toys is that they are specially designed um, for each of the robot uh, the robots that they are using to make sure that they align with the abilities and the needs of that robot. But in most cases, they're pretty easy to make. It's just about putting in that effort to bring that toy in and, and, and give that one-on-one exposure to that robot. Huh. So uh, the toys include um, the Adaptive Suspended Bob is what they're calling the first one. And this features a handle uh, with a strong nylon rope 
at the end of it or nylon string at the end of it and a plushy weighted bob at the end. Sometimes these are in uh, fun little shapes like uh, like pink asteroids or oh. or small mice. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, so these are these are generally liked, generally enjoyed, or generally uh, uh, used with uh, the large number of robotic arms that are held at these uh, that are held at various stations throughout the factory. Enrichment specialists hold the tool within arm's reach and move it around as the machinery exercises their full range of motion and use, uh, utilizes sensory algorithms to bat and try to catch it. Well, that sounds just delightful. It, it surely is. Uh, these robots, I, you know, I don't want to personify them too much, but it seems like they really love it, or at least they get a lot from it. The next one I have is called a uh, Corresponded Mass Displacer. Uh, this is uh, this is actually one of the more simple ones, and that's what really drew me. They have a number of these, but I chose some of my favorites. Um, so the corresponded mass displacer is a number of M20 nuts and bolts connected with nylon string. These are used for assembly line on electromagnetic cranes. What they do is they put it right below the crane, and they let the crane just turn on and off their electromagnet, pick it up, drop it, and those nuts and bolts, they move around in different orders. It's really quite interesting. Make interesting noises, I bet. Oh, certainly. What? And they, they just let it. They let it float there. They let it fall on the ground. Pick up. It. It seems like it seems like they're having again a lot of unpersonified fun with this device. Well, I mean, and I think it is worth considering that um, the these particular manufacturing robots are very simple. They don't have much in the way of uh, a great deal of intelligence. So while this may sound boring or infantile to you or I, look at appropriately an infant and the toys that they enjoy and how much joy they get out of these sort of, of similarly simple apparatuses. And, and you can see why this would be so enriching to one of these manufacturing sort of units. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if an infant had five teslas of magnetic capability within its body it would enjoy doing this sort of thing too and think about the algorithms that are being tested within this robot this robot is is being able to test their dynamic predictive measures uh the amount of force that is applied when they apply different uh different amounts of voltage and of course the impact uh that it feels when it uh when it hits up against the actual crane part hmm. uh the final one that i wanted to to talk about from this from this uh from the th the number of more simple rudimentary uh, toys that I saw was a uh, was a heat what is is what is called a heat resistant activity post. Now this is a very specially designed one because this was specially designed specifically spe specifically for the welding arms. Mm. Um, so the welding arms they couldn't exactly safely use the, the the previous bob as talked about with that one because of the the issues with the amount of heat that the welding arm typically generated uh so what they did was they created this post that the welding arm can sort of uh, uh exercise its 360 degree motion and its electrode capacities to go around and sort of and sort of you know shock at or, or scratch at if you will oh wow that sounds that sounds wonderful and and this is a perfect example of a one of these uh, of a toy being used in a in a safe uh enriching environment now, I know what you're asking. What about the more complex machines that they have in these factories? Right. I, I, I was wondering about that because um, there's – I imagine there's lots of machines that are not only just complex but also perhaps don't have uh, external operating sort of features that would be amenable to these sort of physical toys. Right. 
Um, I mean, and the coil board constructor is exactly one of those. It's a it's a fully uh, a fully uh, compartmentalized uh, device robot where you know boards go in. They construct the boards for your oven or your washing machine that it uses as a robot in itself in your home, um, and then it spits it out. So how are they gonna how are they gonna create something to really enrich such a complex such a uh, in some ways, maybe one of the the wisest, most uh, most dynamic robots in the facility, um, and so they developed the dense puzzle cube, um, so to to engage that sort of artificial uh, intellect of of this of this machine. The cubes are fed into the machine, and the machine uses its sensors, conveyor belts, and soldering machines. Um, as well as its various electrical and mechanical components to work on that cube. It just pushes it all back and forth, trying to solve the puzzle previously generated on that cube. It is, up until now, unable to solve the cube. Whether that's a uh, an, from an intellectual level, or whether that's simply just a mechanical inability to move the cube in the requisite number of turns necessary to solve the cube, we don't exactly know yet. But while it's working on the cube, the the coil board constructor is fully engaged, fully enriched, and uh, honestly, living living its most its most fulfilling uh, fulfilling experiences. Well, that's just that's just wonderful. It, it, it's it's another showing of how mindfulness is useful not just between people, but with the environment and the objects in it as well. Certainly. Um, so what we've already found is that predict productivity. Uh, and workplace automated culture are already up five percent, and it's just been this has just been in place for about two weeks now. Uh, so it's it's really stunning these results, and it's something that many other manufacturers and research institutions, Tech Brothers included, will be investigating in the future. Well, that's it's always nice to hear some good news and and some ways in which the world is being made brighter, mm-hmm. um, especially for such a benighted strata as the manufacturing robot or or robots as a whole yeah well kai we're about at the midpoint of the show now and we had a talk earlier and we came to the agreement yeah a mutual agreement that i for the betterment of the show that i would be taking a break from liquid poetry kai you have a segment you would like to do over our mid-show break, is I, that correct? I do, and and this is a this is a very special one. I finally get to bring back one of my favorite segments. What will they think of next? Uh, and this time it's an out of this world edition. We're only talking about some news stories uh, that are based on space themes, space news stories. I'm going to ask three space news stories, and Rowan and the listener. What I want you to do is I want you to decide without looking it up, without cheating. I want you to take this take this mid-show time to figure out which one of these three news stories is correct. All right, sounds good. Okay, so the first news story. Scientists discover a meteor that might have been an early terrestrial moon. Hmm. Scientists discover a meteor meteor that might have been an early terrestrial moon. So think about that one. Conceivable. Second one. Scientists discover a new classification of galaxy that has no stars. Ooh, also very conceivable. Mm -hmm. Scientists discover a new classification of galaxy that has no stars. And finally, scientists verify, and this is the last one, scientists verify the existence of a theoretical squiggly comet that moves in a strange squiggly orbit. Hmm. Scientists verify the existence of a theoretical squiggly comet that moves in a strange 
squiggly orbit. Sinusoidal, perhaps? Just a squiggle. Well, that's quite interesting. Well, uh, I will think about that over the next five minutes Mm -hmm. or so. To the listeners, I would encourage you to think about that as well and try and find out what you think is true. Right. Use your critical thinking skills. And when we return, we will come back with the answer to these, what's this called again? What will they think of next? We will have that as well as our special feature. So please stay tuned. And we are back. We're back. Welcome back, everybody. I think it's time. The listener has waited long enough. They've contemplated this with their critical thinking skills. As have I. I've been I've been deep in thought over this, trying to uh, ascertain what what is correct here. Yeah, what is correct? And in the segment we posed prior to the break, what will they think of next out of this world edition? So, as a reminder, I asked all the listeners. I asked you, the listener, and Rowan to to ask yourself which one of the three possible scientific news stories based on uh, intergalactic interstellar space-based uh, space-based uh, topics was true the three choices i provided were number one scientists discover a meteor that might have been an early terrestrial moon this means uh, an earth moon they discover a meteor that might have been an early moon number two scientists discover a new classification of galaxy that has no stars and number three scientists verify the existence of a theoretical squiggly comet that moves in a strange squiggly orbit and and as we had established prior to the break when you say squiggly you do not mean sinusoidal or sawtooth or um it it, it is squiggly yes it is it is it is squiggly it is inherently a a mixture of of lines and movements and things like that very interesting so uh, let's start off with rowan what do you think it was well i am going to have to go with story number two i given the vastness of space Mm. and my understanding of astronomical bodies celestial bodies it seems very conceivable to me that there might in fact be a space a galaxy as it were um composed of said bodies that would be completely and utterly without stars and in addition to that there's a lot of discussion from these sort of ancient astronomers of large spanses of of dark darkness where no no light can come through mm. uh, whether that's known as the nether or the void or the abyss um in any case to see a physical representation of that which is not necessarily a literal void or a literal abyss but rather just a space of darkness mm. it's very compelling i'm going to have to go with number 2 Number two. So you say it's number two. I like your reasoning. I like hearing your thoughts on the issue. I think they're very. It, I can hear the scientist in you turning, uh, turning your wheels. I will now tell you the answer is not two. Wow. It's not one. Oh. It is number three. Okay. Scientists verify the existence of the theoretical squiggly comet that moves in a strange squiggly orbit. Now, on some ba- some background on this, this is a squiggly comet uh, that was that was theorized by uh, an early mathematician and astronomer uh, in 1504. The er- in early early astronomy. Well, not that early in the grand scheme of things. Well, sure, not that early, but uh, certainly prior to Galileo, prior to major discoveries, uh, they theorized and actually observed. Prior to European discoveries. Sure, sure, sure. Um, this is a, this was a British uh, a British astronomer. 
and uh, and mathematician. Uh, they they actually claimed to have observed uh, such such a comet. They did not call it a squiggly comet, um, but in an early journal by uh, by Jonathan Garson, who who which was their name, uh, they wrote, "I saw a comet that seems to have sent me a message." And then they just wrote squiggles. And is that really the best description of the orbit that that you can give? Is that really the most apt description? Surely there must be um, some some sort of pattern there. Well, there is. Uh, mathematically, there is a pattern. It has to do with the fact that this comet, there is a lot of there is a lot of uh, under the surface movement due to due to core and, and heat different differentials and uh, the differentials of, of 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 types of elements down there moving and shifting hmm. uh, that causes just weight distributions, which um, with this fast moving comet uh, cause it to move in a variety of ways. Sometimes reversing the direction of its orbit. Sometimes going up, going down breaking through the plane of the actual uh, orbit of the Milky Way. This is a Milky Way comet to have been observed uh, in 1504. Wow. wow. But, I mean, it took so long for us to actually discover it because uh, we it's so hard to predict. Just, just now we discovered it, and it seemed that Jonathan Larson was in the right place at the right time to see this comet as it zoomed past just just close enough to to see with the with the naked eye uh, in, its, in its strange, un- unpredictable movements it's the The garson scribble comet exists well that's it goes to show just how much um happenstance and coincidence can play in these theories that later turn out to be provable in a more concrete sense who who would have thought that what some have called ramblings of somebody on the verge of a mental breakdown was in fact a piece of important science. You know what? I think as we go forward and our understanding of the world gets better, especially in the spirit sciences, mm. those ramblings, more of those ramblings will move towards accepted theories. Um, some, people, only some people have accused Simon Amy himself and some of his his wisdom and sayings as being ramblings. Mm. Um, we, I'm not going to Give, give specific names because I don't want to give them the attention, mm. but I am fully convinced all of those people will be absolutely ashamed or perhaps even hung when the realization of what they have said and how wrong it was comes forward. B- bold claims. We'll see if they if they span out. But I, I Rowan, I understand that you brought some uh, for our special feature something very important from the Simon Amy Institute. Yes, uh, it, 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 it's, we were talking about happenstance, and I think that's an excellent segue because um, when you consider happenstance, uh, sort of coincidences, luck, mm. that sort of thing, uh, one of the major sort of attributing factors to uh, the outcomes of these happenstances um, is attributed. There's luck. There's the idea of being lucky. Uh, That's probably the most uh, common perception of if something good is happening to you, well, then that person, if if something routinely good happens to an individual, well, they're lucky. If Mm -hmm. something routinely bad happens to someone, well, they're unlucky. Sure. If you do dig a little deeper... Um, into this idea, uh, you move away from just luck as being some sort of quantify, uh, some sort of innate, immutable factor of an individual mm. into karma, which is to say that these the ha- these happenstances can be modified by 
your behavior and your interactions with other individuals. Right. So luck is like luck is like maybe the the wives' tale, whereas karma is the the theoretical science behind it. Right. That, that's exact. That's exactly how we would look at it at the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Um, and we really one of the things we like to do is is we like to take uh, a a. a scientific effort to quantify and isolate some of these anecdotal spiritual concepts um things like chi entities orgone energy channeling manifesting these are all things that that in the wider world in the the layperson's world are just it, it they accept it it's out there it's sure. anecdotal and cultural but there's no real data there and the same is with karma um and we've actually had some wonderful advances just recently in our karmological program hmm. and uh, i would like to talk about some of the stuff that's been going on over there please do. i mean i'm i'm always interested in hearing the latest uh in the scientific research coming out of the spirit science institute mostly because i don't know any of it well, I can't even imagine it. Well, uh, so uh, before we get into the... Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for saying that. I'm always happy to in engage with the ignorant on these matters. And the admission of your ignorance is, is so heartwarming to me. Mm. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about karma very quickly. Because it's it's a very common word that i feel is oftentimes poorly understood sure so the common perception of karma at, at its simplest for any individual goodness begets goodness and badness begets badness okay no matter how you slice it that's the 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 takeaway and and i'm i'm to believe that there there have been tests at simon amy's institute to determine the to corroborate the validity of this of this wisdom uh, uh certainly certainly uh so the conventional approaches and this is not something that that is, is strictly done by simon amy um mm -hmm. there's other spirit science institutes research pools um there's a whole plethora of spirit science academia out of there mm -hmm. and many of them have looked towards this issue as well this this field um and sort of your conventional approaches at that end are, are sort of a personality slash a background correlation where you can take uh certain metrics and apply them to uh questionnaires of how someone's life is going mm -hmm. and oftentimes you'll find a uh, a moderately strong correlation between sort of being a jerk and being in a worse place in life sure. um, and vice versa. That's okay. a conventional approach. Additionally, there's um, past life regression therapy that can be quite useful. Um, for example, uh, you could take the child of a very well-to-do family. Perhaps they're a young protege sure. um, on the violin sure. or or, or on chess. the chess exactly classic and, examples and you put those individuals through past life regression and generally speaking you'll you can find not in some cases not all in some cases that in their past lives they had been um uh, sort of selfless individuals they had been doctors or priests or or charity workers mm. and then uh, when they come forward and 
grow into this life, then they end up better off than when they started in the past life. Fascinating. But in these instances, even in these instances, you're only measuring the mechanisms of karma indirectly, Hmm. which is to say outcome-based analysis. Sure. Which for most purposes, especially in the spirit science world, outcome-based evidence is good enough (laughs) for the most part. In, In many cases in science, good enough is all you get. Oh, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kai. Um, and and it, but so but the karmological researchers here at the Simon Amy Institute really weren't satisfied with that. They felt that more could be done. Hmm. And after a exhaustive years and years of testing and and finagling with mechanisms and uh, procedures, what we were finally able to do i say we in the sense of the whole institute this was not my research what Mm -hmm. we were able to do was actually measure and isolate karma directly so fascinating in short what, what what these researchers did was create a positively harmonized water-based buffer solution that's a phbs and that will react to vbs waves or vibes as they're known colloquially um so the vbs waves are emitted by all sentient entities and have this a direct but complex relationship with a number of markers and personalities that are broadly corresponding to concepts of of good and evil okay because across cultures there is some overlap with what's good and evil and if you're able to find these sort of universal markers there is um the vbs waves emitted by sure um individuals will correspond direct once again directly but the vibe sense around the world exactly exactly you'll get it so when you immerse sentient beings in the phbs the vbs waves scatter through the liquid um as Hmm. any source of light would scatter through a liquid sure and the individual waves subsequently react with the positively harmonized water-based buffer solution uh as they go through it and you sort of get this foaming effect and and it changes colors and gets kind of iridescent Mm -hmm. but ultimately once the reaction settles down you can remove the being from out of it and usually this takes three or four hours of complete immersion and what you're left with is particles of pure karma in your phbs i i see and how do these how do these particles look uh once you um evaporate off the water boil it off what you end up with is is a, a viscous um sort of oily slick mm. of once again, pure karma, and it's a, p- a particle we are have named the Simon. Why? After Am- Simon Amy himself, of course, yeah, sure. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm guessing there's not much uh, controversy in that name. Of course not. It's not, not, not a geology. We're talking about spirit science. Here. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Passions run high in spirit science, mm. but generally speaking, more mindful heads prevail at the end of the day sure with the most gooey liquid inside them of course of course uh, but that that all that all that together that is not the most exciting part sure 
What, oh, really? Ex- yes. What What is the most exciting part, Rowan? Well, what we can do is is we can take this pure droplet of of Simon's, the mm-hmm. moral essence of an individual, and we have evidence that we can actually transfer karma from one individual, or in these animal testings, multiple individuals mm-hmm. into another individual. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my my question would my question would most would mostly be how do you know that this gooey liquid is in fact is in fact karma and not uh, something something like uh, the bone bone hurt juice or something. Well, it, and that's and that's where these these tests are really quite interesting, and I think you'll you'll see what what mm. goes on here with this. Um, so what we've been doing is, is we've mostly been working, doing this with regards to rats. Rat ethics are much simpler; they're less confusing, and and, Don't and so I know it's it. it's a lot purer. The issue being that there is only very little inside of a rat, so uh, that's been slowing down the research. We have to use quite a few rats at any given time yeah. to have enough karma, um, and we are running out of space in the dumpster to to uh, place the. That's neither here yeah. nor there. Uh, so karma peels once we have enough liquid from uh in this case in the taste we've been doing we've been liquidating morally upright rats and extracting the liquid simons from that liquid now Rowan, what is it what, describe a morally upright rat for me uh rats that that show great greater greater selflessness mindfulness um attention and care to loved ones sure maybe like you you maybe if there's a rat in a cage and it has some cheese that it could have all to itself it brings the other rat some cheese as well well I, exactly um of course sometimes there has to be uh, uh sometimes you have to starve the rats a little bit to really get to the bottom of mm. of their 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 moral fortitude their moral character right but classic uh, practice of course so we Put these rats, these 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 rats that exhibit goodness and, mm-hmm. and purity, yeah, the pure moral rats. purity. Sure. Uh, we take them, we extract the karma, and then what we can do is, is once we have enough of the the liquid simons, we can uh, administer that to rats that we have determined are morally ambiguous. And once we administer, which I assume would be most of them, yes, most most as with people, most rats are just trying to get through the day. Right, they, they're not particularly morally uh, passionate in one way or another. Mm. We apply the liquid good karma to morally ambiguous rats, and we can see an uptick in good outcomes for that rat, as if they had themselves either accumulated good karma in their lifespan or from their predecessors. How, now, how do you administer karma into a rat? Uh, a syringe. Oh, directly into the bloodstream? Um, a number of glands. Mm. Uh, yeah, but so um, the, the pineal, um, the limbic system. Sure. Um, generally speaking, uh, wherever we feel as the, wherever we can get in, honestly, <laughs> Um, they tend to fidget quite a bit, so sometimes mm. it just goes right into the muscles. Yeah. If it gets there, it counts. Exactly, and and that is what the evidence has shown. So when we talk about good outcomes for these 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 doped morally ambiguous rats, mm. these uh, morally gray rats, perhaps, um, 
you see upticks in good outcomes. And this is things that tests that we run, such as uh, random number generators that that will shock rats on occasion. Mm. Um, these rats tend to get shocked statistically less often. Wow. Um, another one is what we like to do is we, we do something called a food drop test. Mm. And so what we'll do is is we have a number of rats in wire cages along the floor of a of a room and then we will take their food and put it in a sort of a dis- distribution sort of a randomized it flings the food all over the place in mm. a randomized matter little pellets and what we do is is we were is this is how we feed all of the rats on the floor and we'll, we make sure to only have enough food at any given point to feed 75% of the rats and by judging where rats starve to death as this food is randomly distributed mm-hmm. um you you just continue going down and down and down until in a battle royale sort of scenario hmm. a few rats are left living because randomly their food more food has accumulated in there and of course we see the morally ambiguous rats in that have been treated given this karmological regimen right will survive statistically more often than not fascinating i I do have to ask though by injecting this karma in do you see any changes in the rats do they stay morally ambiguous themselves or do they do they grow to their karma no they actually the behavior remains consistent Mm. so um that is a concern if we were to ever bring this to humans that most likely the the benefits that would be it would have to be a either a regular infusion or people would have to change their behaviors to Mm. maintain what they got after these treatments uh but by and large um uh, so yes, yeah, so it, it, there is no change in behavior. It's merely a an occurrence of of good good luck uh, or greater sure. greater positive outcomes. Fascinating. Yes, uh, we're in the process of refining the procedure right now to get more karma per individual that is processed through this tr- the the extraction uh, procedure. But additionally, we're waiting to hear back from the IWC to know if they've accepted our application for a scientific whaling permit. Because if we get that, even with the procedure as it is, the extraction procedure, mm-hmm. the efficiencies we have now, we could conceivably be getting several kilograms of liquid simons each time we bring in one of the uh, one of these whales. I mean, certainly the whale the whale itself is an is an ecosystem. I'm sure with with so many so many bodies with their different karm karmas associated right and all the algae on the ba on the stomach and and such uh, uh there once we have a whale in hand we'll be able to figure out how the best way to do this will be hmm. um but uh so yeah that's uh uh, it's 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 really quite uh it's really exciting there's a lot going on and um i'm glad i had a chance to talk about it right i'm glad i'm glad you got to talk about it some of the some of the latest uh breakthroughs in in spirit sciences and this sounds like a very practical one absolutely absolutely um 
and uh, we are running low on time, so would you mind horribly if we move it on to the citizen science? Uh, no, I still have so many questions, but I think uh, times do tell. Citizen science is the time. Right. So I do not have a source for this citizen science. Um, the name has been so unfortunately blocked out because I would love to give this individual the due credit that they deserve sure. for this for this for this breakthrough yeah. in citizen science. What? <clears throat> And I'm not even sure what this is in reference to, honestly. So blood type is not the issue. Blood lineage is. Blood lineage is not soul lineage and vice versa. The manifestation of Nephilim in this place, capitalized TP, is contingent on soul lineage being bound to blood lineage. And those occurrences are exceedingly rare. They can be quote-unquote Frankenstein, though, and even then certain factors must not only be present, the vessel must be in a state of higher manifestation. And that higher state of manifestation requires self-awareness, and that self-awareness triggers a kill switch from the possessing entity. Then... It is a battle to save a rightful soul's existence. Plus, the quote-unquote energies are so dense, the human body basically starts rupturing just my experiences. Fascinating. You know, I was... I, you know, I was about to call. I was very confused. I was very worried. I mean, certainly, I have experienced so many Frankenstein's in my life, so many Frankensteining events. Um, but I, I, I kind of questioned the science here. But that end bit, that they had actually experienced this, turned my entire perspective around. I, I am so disappointed that. I have no way to contact this individual because there are some people at the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science that would absolutely love to pick this individual's brain um, on their personal experiences that they have indeed experienced. The, the blood lineage versus soul lineage debate is quite robust, and I, I feel as though um, this, once again, whoever this is, whoever the citizen scientist is, mm -hmm. I'm sure they could at least put an interesting spin on the discussions that are happening to this day. Mm -hmm. I'd like to close on a quote by Amila Faroon, who is a data scientist at Lake Penn Elect Electrics, a company in uh, Pennsylvania. And they said this, If data were a song, then evidence would be the Philharmonic Symphony. Beautiful. Eureka Cast now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are rebroadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WLPN LP 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at Eureka Cast on Twitter. Rowan, I think we have some other social media. We do. Uh, if you do engage in any other forms of social media please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash awcyfm or drop us a line at awcyfm at gmail.com and, and to that end if you have any technological scientific or spiritual breakthroughs that you've witnessed or participated in let us know uh, we'd love to hear about them and we'd love to have you or the people that have participated in these come on and talk about it we have not yet had a guest next week we might but Hopefully. um we're always looking for them once again that email is awcyfm at gmail.com Com. And you can visit our website at awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast to learn, uh, to listen to past episodes and learn more. So with that all out of the way, Chicago, allow us here at EurekaCast now to send you on your way 
with the brisk but friendly butt slap of a brighter tomorrow. Keep that car 